This is your host, Grant Vermeer, Naval Academy Class of 2017, and I'm your Academy Insider. It's my goal to be your guide through the Naval Academy experience by sharing my stories and providing you inside information into the life of a midshipman. Academy Insider is in no way officially affiliated with the United States Naval Academy. All of the content on Academy Insider is my own and does not reflect the views of the United States Naval Academy, the United States Navy, nor the Department of Defense. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Academy Insider Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Caroline Johnson, who is a class of 2009 graduate from the Naval Academy, a former FA-18 Super Hornet NFO, and now author of the brand new book, Jet Girl. Jet Girl is a phenomenal story detailing her time starting from the Naval Academy, a funny story from Ida to start it all off, all the way through to her flight pipeline training, like the Naval Aviation Training, and then her time flying combat missions on an operational deployment over Iraq and Syria. Phenomenal stories, a ton of insight, a lot of laughs, but also a lot of honesty, uh, a lot of raw emotion and truth about some of the struggles, trials, and tribulations that she faced that truly make this book a phenomenal read. If you want to learn more about Caroline and her book, make sure to stick around and listen to this episode. Caroline's fantastic, and it really is a fun listen. I hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, let's get to it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Academy Insider. And Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on to be a part of the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Grant. This is awesome, and I'm so proud of what you're doing here. Thank you. Uh, And if you don't mind just talking to the Academy Insider audience a little bit about yourself. So one, how you ended up at the Naval Academy, and then two, a little background about your midshipman self, your major, your company, and just a little bit about you as a midshipman. Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Caroline Johnson. I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, actually next to the Air Force Academy. Um, And I ended up at the Naval Academy probably because of my brother. He was a 2007 grad. um, And so he kind of paved the way for me to join in the academy. We come from a non-military family. My father's a businessman. My mom was a small business owner. And we grew up next to the Air Force Academy. And so uh, I didn't know a ton about the Navy, about the Naval Academy, but once I saw the campus and saw the students and really the core values, I fell in love with the place. But it didn't mean I was a great midshipman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a very fun time as a midshipman for the most part. I don't remember most of the bad stuff, but um, I struggled a lot with the rules. <laughs> but <laughs> all things considered, we can talk about that a little bit later in the in the podcast. I never got fried for it. Um, but I was an economics major. I was in 18th company and I'm a 2009 graduate. And so 2005 to 2009 with all the trials and tribulations in between. Absolutely. And you ended up commissioning as a naval aviator, a naval flight officer. Was that something, so you said you didn't know much about the Navy. Was that something that you were interested at the start? Or was that something that you kind of discovered while you were at the academy that maybe naval aviation was the career path for you? Correct. So I actually wanted to be a doctor growing up as a kid um, and all the way through high school as well. And then I kind of realized medicine wasn't going in a great direction at that point. My grandfather was like, "Ah, I think you should choose a different path. And so that's when I kind of started looking at the Naval Academy, um, but still didn't quite understand what a life of service was and what that kind of looked like and, and really entailed. So Going to the Naval Academy, I like to say I went in eyes wide shut, and (laughs) I was just there to soak it all up. I remember a recruiter calling me, and she was a surface warfare officer, so a SWO. And at that time, I was very passionate about traveling and about 
seeing the world. And so she told me about all the port calls she went to and the 22 countries she saw. And yeah. I was like, oh, that sounds great. Sure, I'll be a SWO. <laughs> um, and then I got to the academy. I was like, oh, my gosh, um, the SWOs weren't yeah. my people. <laughs> it was a little bit too slow moving. I was not a Marine. I realized that they really liked rules. And that wasn't me either. Um, and then aviation, I just fell in love with like the instructors, the personality, the missions. There was nothing cooler than that to me. Yeah, so absolutely. That's why I went that way. And were there any specific summer trainings that kind of really made you think like, oh, yes, this is something that I can definitely do? Like, was it your time in ProTramid? Did you do an aviation cruise or powered flight or anything like that? Or did you kind of just go in and, and were like, hey, I like the people. I like the aviation community. And that's what I want to do. So it's actually very funny. Um, I think this will kind of come out in this entire podcast is I've always marched to the beat of my own drum mm -hmm. and was always off step with everyone else. And so I had very unique summer trainings when I was at the academy. Now they offer a whole lot more and it's a little bit more structured. And when I was there, it was kind of non-traditional. Um, so the only really normal thing I did was the plebe summer cruise. So I went out, I did that. There was a helicopter flight. I don't even think I got on that. It was it was so random. I was with the public affairs team and the and the dentist was like my the, I don't know, my running mates. And so yeah. as everyone at the academy knows, that's very non-traditional. But we didn't we didn't have powered flight back in the day. ProTermid got canceled because they ran out of money. So I had never sat in a Navy plane before selecting naval aviation, actually. So Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that's a serious yeah. life decision to make to, you know, go and be a, a naval aviator for eight years, having never been in a plane. But hey, it worked out. <laughs> so it seems like to do. someone's yeah. got to do it. Uh, exactly. And, and you just, you, you kind of joke that following rules maybe wasn't uh, your strong suit, nor did you particularly like it. It may have led some trouble. But how was your Naval Academy experience? at large. Did you enjoy it? Looking back on it now, do you felt, feel like you got a lot out of it? Uh, just kind of how were your four years in Annapolis? I mean, it was totally transformative from walking in on I-Day to Alumni Hall and just being smacked in the face with sweat regulation and a haircut um, to walking out the gates and, and getting my last salute or my first salute. Um, it was incredible. Not anything I thought I was ever going to do. And I actually just met up with friends back in Colorado after 15 years from high school. They were like, how did you even end up at the Naval Academy? What happened? Um, but it took me from being this young, very naive uh, girl, and it transformed me into a woman who was really ready to face the world. And so understanding the morals and the call to service and all these higher level things that as an 18 year old, I didn't quite get the Naval Academy really instilled me with that. And I always worked hard. I was always good at academics. I was, you know, that stuff all came relatively easy to me. Um, but it was some of the other stuff that the Naval Academy really instilled in me. And, and it even took through my fleet career. I think even as an ensign in 2009, I was still uh, pretty naive, though prepared to, to take on kind of life. Yeah, absolutely. And on previous episodes of Academy Insider. We've talked about semester exchange programs and stuff like that. Sorry, just kind of twist this conversation a little bit. But I do want to talk about your semester exchange uh, at the German Naval Academy as well. Um, so you yeah. got to do that. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that experience was? And you talk about all those things about understanding and developing appreciation for the sense of duty. When you went to the German Naval Academy, what were things that you experienced there that one, made you appreciate the Naval Academy a little bit more, but two, also you're like, hmm, the things that they do at the German Naval Academy are actually pretty cool or helpful or just kind of anything in that that realm. 
Yeah. So the German Naval Academy was a wonderful experience. Uh, myself and Martin Coulter were the first Americans to ever study over there. Uh, so we got sent by the Naval Academy, actually by Mr. Tim Disher, who is currently still there. Um, he selected us to send us over. And I had already actually studied abroad in Germany in high school. So I was fluent in German, very familiar with the culture. And so it really was those experiences in the military system uh, that was eye-opening to me. So for example, they do once one year of plebe training and it's all their military training shoved into one year and then they spend about three years three and a half years at a military university that's essentially a civilian school with one day a week rotc program but they're all going into the military so it's navy army and air force all together and they end up with a european master's degree so that structure was very different. Yeah. And it obviously comes from their history, um, you know, from from the Nazis and the militarism. So they're actually very non-military and their rank and hierarchy is not as strict as ours is. And so that really taught me about the human aspect of what the military is and how it is really all about people and the relationships that you forge with people and how those can change your opinion of not just one one person, but one country and one military and, and how you can work together best with people and try to understand their past and how it will influence how they behave. And so that was really what Germany taught me. Um, you know, I, I also learned... <laughs> How to enjoy beer over there, but I also um, and I traveled a lot. But um, really, it's it's people, and yeah. and that's the best part about the Navy and my Naval Academy experience. So yeah, absolutely. But it sounds like potentially the most important factor of that, especially for a career within naval naval aviation, was learning to enjoy beer. So that that's a good one. <laughs> that's exciting. And so yeah, after man. after you commission. Uh, you commissioned as a naval flight officer, and you head down to Pensacola, correct? Correct. Yep. Do you mind? So, yeah. If you just mind telling uh, the Academy Insider audience a little bit, I, I want to use this episode as well to talk a little bit about the naval aviation pipeline, specifically naval flight officers. So, if you don't mind, just talking a little bit about your training uh, pipeline as a naval flight officer. Yeah, and so even before we get to that, I think something that was very interesting in coming back as an instructor was understanding the selection process and kind of the numbers that go into mm -hmm. that. Um, so for everyone knows that you have very high physical qualifications to get into naval aviation. So not only measurements of, hey, how long your arm is, how long your femur length is, that kind of stuff is actually very important and can be qualifying or disqualifying. You'll have to look at the exact regulations, but there's re-measurements. If there's a will, there's always a way. So there's waivers for any physical issues that you have. Surprisingly, of a class of almost 1,000 students, only about 60% of the Naval Academy midshipmen are physically qualified to go into aviation. Then you have to take an ASTB, which is an aviation skills test battery uh, to do that. You have to score well, and, and that includes a myriad of tests that you can study and practice for. Um, from there, you go to a selection board and they select either pilot or NFO. For me, I actually wanted to be a pilot and I got selected as an NFO, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. But when I was selected into naval aviation, there were, I think, 374 of my classmates that went down to Pensacola that year. And so it was an exciting time. It's always exciting to go down to Pensacola, which is the, the cradle of naval aviation, with 374 of your classmates and pick out your condo on the beach. And just, <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing time. Then you start training. Training kicks off with API. 
which is aviation pre-flight indoctrination. It's a six-week course made up of four weeks of academic instruction and testing mixed in with water survival training and all the physical aspects of it. Your final two weeks are all the the survival training. So the ejection seat trainer, the helicopter dunker, um, that's where you really get good at swimming and almost drowning. It's kind of like (laughs) explosive ordnance disposal (laughs) training. Um, Always a fun time, but you make it through that and then you go into primary flight training. So pilots will go into their own primary flight training and NFOs do our own. Um, And that's now PRI 1 and PRI 2. It's a whole syllabus of courses and depending on how long you go through the process, there's it's like a highway and there's different off-ramps to where you can select into P3s or helicopters or E6s, different platforms of aircraft, but jets, you go all the way through. You stay on the highway as long as you can. So it took me about two and a half years to make it all the way through flight training to earn my wings of gold. Um, and that included backups in the training syllabus that included waiting around in Pensacola, which is not a bad place to quote unquote <laughs> wait around. Um, but it was a really fun time in my life. Once you earn your wings of gold, you've selected which aircraft you're going to fly, which for me was F-18s. And so then I went up to NAS Oceana, which is Virginia Beach. There's two major places that you can go if you fly jets, which is Virginia Beach or Lemoore, California. I chose Virginia Beach and was able to go through one more year of intensive training in a training squadron. And then I went on um, to join my fleet squadron. So it actually wasn't until I think almost three and a half years after completing the Naval Academy that I joined my fleet squadron. That's crazy. And as someone as self-described as kind of You know, you go on your own program, you're kind of on your own little schedule there. You never really knew that you wanted to fly planes until you picked naval aviation. And then you get to a point where you have to pick which aircraft you're going to fly in. And in your book, Jet Girl, which I will now want to give you the opportunity to talk to a little bit, you talk about a training flight uh, with a pilot call sign JLo, who really acted as a mentor of yours. And if you don't mind, would you just share that story a little bit and how she influenced you and how a lot of your instructors influenced you to realize that maybe Jets was the path that you wanted to go? Yeah. And it even goes back to the Naval Academy. My freshman year, plebe year, in my leadership class, it was uh, an aviator, an NFO, uh, call sign Shrek, who's actually still in Annapolis. If you need to buy any real estate, call him. <laughs> He's awesome. So it's so funny. He was an instructor and then stayed in Annapolis. But his mentorship and his just personality and talking to me and just kind of showing me the quality people that are in aviation, that's what convinced me to go that way. Mm-hmm. And then you step forward to the fleet and you have these interactions with all the different instructors. And my approach, given that relationship background from Germany, was try to take something away from every instructor. Even if it's somebody you really don't like, pick up, hey, that's a behavior I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And this is what, how it makes me feel. Anyway, J-Lo was the opposite. I wanted to do everything J-Lo did because (laughs) she was so cool, I thought. (laughs) Number one, she was the first female I had ever flown with, uh, the first female pilot, which was super cool as a woman going through. Um, But she just demonstrated to me what a professional aviator 
was and how you could still be yourself and also be an aviator. So we were going out on a training mission and we were flying over <laughs> to Tallahassee to go get lunch. And so we we took off. And as a naval flight officer in training, you do all these rudimentary tasks and training missions. And so I was going to town and I was working my calculations <laughs> and doing all this very nerdy stuff, honestly. Um, and finally, she was like, hey, can you just tone it down a little bit? And I was like, uh am I not doing something right? And she's like, no, 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 you're great. But I have a two-year-old toddler at home and I'm a reservist. So I'm up here flying today to actually get away from my child. So I'm just trying to enjoy the day outside. Uh, let's fly in. Anyway, we had lunch in Tallahassee, had this wonderful day, learned what it was like to be a jet aviator, learned what was important and really then learn about kind of the life and how it was possible to still have your own life and to still be your own person, but also be very successful in aviation. And that's what JLo kind of demonstrated to me through her behaviors and, and just kind of and you, bringing me along the yeah, way, which was great. That, so, that, that's great. Yeah. And you share that story in your book, Jekyll, as well as stories from your operational deployment, your time at the Naval Academy, your time at Pensacola and the entirety of the flight pipeline. Can you just give the Academy Insider audience a little bit of a rundown uh, about your book and then what motivated you to write the book and share all these stories? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the book kind of starts from when I started at the Naval Academy from day <laughs> one when I think I mooned my entire class because my pants fell down on eye day, which was not a great experience. So I was off to a good start. Um, it follows me through the Naval Academy and kind of the ups and downs and, and how I formed into this woman and then through flight training and my operational tour all the way back to when I returned to the Naval Academy as an instructor. Um, so it is an exciting story of just kind of a lot of people don't understand the world that we live in. And so I was very fortunate to have a civilian co-author. And so to bring our lives to life in a way that even a civilian who had no idea what the Naval Academy was can understand and really process and, and see it, taste it, smell it, and live it side by side. And you see those ups and downs, not of just being a woman, but also, you know, a young man, a young woman, it, it spans across. I had unique struggles sometimes, whether it was hair problems or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but it, but it tracks that and it tracks kind of this workup emotionally of how you get through these combat operational deployments, going to sea for nine months, being shot at by the enemy, losing friends. Um, and, and it's a fun story that, that help will help not only you see what life can be and helps parents understand. My mom was actually a very key component of the book, helping me recall the stories. And she was there for me every step of the way. And so it kind of, it's a great book for parents, for students who are up and coming men and women. It teaches men how to be a good ally for their peers, because when you do support women, you're going to build a stronger team. And it hopefully is a roadmap for women going through so they can see the mistakes I made and, mm. and see how to overcome them better than I did. And then hopefully it, it talks about some of the challenges that I faced so that we can make it better for the next yeah. generation. Um, that is yeah, the, uh, those the are reason I incredibly it. important. And I'm glad <laughs> you brought those up and we are going to touch on all of those topics a ton here later on in the podcast. But something I do want to talk about first is, obviously, I want to talk about all the high-speed, cool stuff. So, obviously, this book does talk about being in a jet and flying combat missions over Iraq and Syria. 
how was that feeling? Is there something as cool or cooler than going Mach 2 in a jet on an operational deployment? Or is it, is it as cool as everyone listening to this podcast imagines it to be? Yeah. So luckily, luckily, I never flew Mach okay. 2. <laughs> F-18s don't go quite that fast, but it's a, it's a good... <laughs> I'm sure my co-author tried to put that in there and I pulled it out. Um, but mm-hmm. it's you are flying at mock speeds and it is the coolest job in the entire world that I had no idea existed. And so whether you're in the front seat as a pilot or in the back seat as an NFO, the things you're able to see and the experiences that you're able to have are just second to none. And so for us, it was life-changing to see ISIS and the utter disregard they had for human life while flying overhead. And then to be able to employ your weapons and do my job to save innocent civilians Mm -hmm. on the ground, there's just no higher calling than that. Um, And so when you're able to do that day in and day out, it becomes really tough to take a desk job later on. I never understood that the Naval Academy led to the coolest jobs in the entire world. So what you're doing to support uh, the submariners and do cryptologic warfare out there, or for even the people who are driving warships going against Iran every single day, it's insane. The fact that at 22, 23, I was a little bit older. I was 26 when I was flying Mm -hmm. over country. That doesn't happen anywhere in the world. They don't even let 25-year-olds yeah. talk on the phone in some businesses, you know? And we're controlling missiles and bombs and flying $80 million fighter <laughs> jets. So, yes, it is cooler, actually, Absolutely. than and, you and could you share ever imagine. <laughs> in the book, talking about supporting SEAL teams on the ground and flying to a low altitude and going as fast as you can and just having that show of force. Uh, did, that, did that power and force... As you talk about it now, looking back on it, it's so special when you put it into perspective, especially with how young you are and all these things, it makes it so special. But when you're in the moment, do you realize how cool that is and how powerful you are uh, in that moment as you're supporting your teams on the ground? Mm-hmm. Never. You're there. You're strictly business. You have been so well-trained and so professional. I think that's the coolest thing about Navy SEALs and fighter pilots and anyone who's in the military Mm -hmm. is you are a professional through and through, and that comes out in anything that you do. And so the magnitude of what you're doing Mm -hmm. in combat is lost on you so much of the time. Even now, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, wow, did I really get to do that? Was, was that really real? And I look back on the videos and I'm like, man, that was the most amazing thing. And and you just don't realize it when you're out there. And that's why I think you you hear all these older veterans talk about their experiences because, you know, then it's not lost on them anymore. They kind of have this realization once you go through life and you see that, you know, there's 70 year olds, 80 year olds out there that when you're 25, they've still never accomplished or been able to do the things that you have. And so know that the short-term sacrifice and the things that you're going to do to get to that point, they are worth it in the end. And one day you will look back on it and you'll be <laughs> yes. like, Man, this and is the with that, ever. we are currently recording this podcast during uh, the week right after service assignment at the Naval Academy. So we have a bunch of brand new people who have just found out that they're going into the naval aviation community. And you talk about how important this is and how cool it is. And you'll never really get these opportunities to really understand how important and fun this is until you're there. But as you're doing this, what would you 
tell us about the military community, but especially the aviation community as an industry for young men and young women to build a, a career a, as a start in life? Like, what can you tell us about the the lessons that you learned as an aviator and why you would recommend that potentially for a young man or young woman growing up and trying to figure out what they want to do in life? Yeah. So number one, I would say (laughs) by listening to this podcast, you're doing well because it's even a thought in your head uh, to go to the Naval Academy or to be there. And number two, it doesn't matter which service selection you've attained. And so Anything that you do out of the Naval Academy, even if you, you know, you get the golden handshake and you have to go be a civilian because you have medical uh, issues to where you can't commission, you have made a good decision. And the, the skills and the basic things that you've learned at Navy will set you up for a career that is going to lead you to success because you have these core values that other people lack. And that I saw day in and day out, not only during my time in the Navy, but after, you know, I left the Academy, I went and worked at a large Mm -hmm. hedge fund with 14 billion assets under management. Right. So I've seen that I've seen the tech industry. I went and worked at a tech company for a while and I learned that the things we ingrain ourselves with at the Academy, they're just, they don't happen elsewhere. And so that being said, specifically on naval aviation and and selection. Number one, if you didn't get what you want, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Long-term, it will be okay. As long as you approach it with a good attitude and you make the best of the situation that you're in, whether, you know, I went down to flight school as an NFO and my whole goal was to transition over to be a pilot. The cards didn't line up. They were not taking any pilot transitions. And so I had to stay as an Mm -hmm. NFO. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. There were so many perks to being an NFO and I absolutely fell in love with it. So my number one like advice is take it and run. Just embrace it. Be all in. Give it 120%. And even if you only stay five years, that's five years more than anyone else who has chosen not to serve. And so the skills that you learn within the Navy and within Naval Aviation, they are long-term lifelong skills that will set you up for success in the private sector. If you want to go into banking, if you want to be a management consultant, any of those things line up and it's all about hard work and sacrifice, staying the course and overcoming adversity and learning how to work with people, which you're going to do in any service selection. So I don't know if that really (laughs) captured it. I, you know, there's so many options uh, that you can go, you know, aviation, you can go, flying the commercial airlines, but the number of friends that I've had go to Harvard Business School, MIT, gone to get their PhDs. Mm. They're working for NOAA. I have a friend at NASA. You know, it's just unbelievable career paths. I have two friends that are running for one is for uh, mm. Congress and one's for a state Congress. Like it's just unbelievable. I, I couldn't agree more with you, and I, and I think it's, it's so, so true. Cool. Uh, it's special, and and even for me. So you talk about the golden handshake. I have a friend who unfortunately had a seizure about a week and a half before graduation uh, and found out he has like a minor form of epilepsy, right? And so he can't commission, but he's already out there. So what's amazing about service academies in general and the Naval Academy is the network, right? And and the amount of people that are there to support you and help you out. Mm -hmm. So again, whether your career is in aviation, in cryptology, as a surface warfare officer, whatever it is within this, you always have that Naval Academy and that service academy family and community. And it's a great place to start what you're doing because he's completely taken care of now. He's loving a, living a good life and loves what he does. So it definitely is special. And I appreciate you sharing that, that insight and, and advice with us. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah. The one thing I will I will tack on to kind of what you said is is the transparency aspect of it. You know, whether you're a class of no class, whether, you know, you got medically disqualified or whether you washed out of the aviation pipeline, all of those in the Navy are perceived failures. They're not at all, not by any means. That's life. Life happens to everyone. When you do move on to those next steps, just be transparent about it. That is what I would say on, on taking, you know, your background, just say, Hey, look, this is what happened and own it and take that ownership moving forward. And and you'll find success in anything that you do. And that's what really, you know, especially more senior Academy alumni, that's what they really value in looking down. They don't care if you had a non-traditional path to where you've gotten yes, to. Thank but you, thank you for sharing that. And, and I do want to now shift a little bit back towards your book. You've shared a couple of really fun stories with us, talked about some of the great things. But as you mentioned, there were some ups and downs and you share those struggles and stories with complete and transparent honesty throughout the book, which I really appreciated and I really found uh, to be eye-opening from some of the bullying to harassment to even sexism within uh, the training pipeline and even into your squadron and even at the Naval Academy. Um, you talk about stories about checking into your first squadron and how the kind of the treatment you received from them from your hail and farewell uh, to some of the just social aspects like a bar crawl, different things. If you don't mind just sharing some of those stories um, and talking about it because it was extremely difficult and you can tell that through your book. And so I just want, if you don't mind, for you to share with the audience some of the struggles that you faced and then how you managed to, as you described in your book, just keep your eyes in the boat and just keep moving forward and pushing through that and being a trailblazer uh, in this community of, of being in jet aviation. Yeah. So I think the number one thing about that is a lot of the, what I experienced both at the Naval Academy and in the fleet, I'm so proud because when I was back as an instructor, it was not as prevalent as it was. And the behaviors that I talk about in the book and some of the stuff that's very raw um, is not going on. The majority of students who talk to me say, I've never heard of behavior like this before. And, and so that's why we're talking about it is so that we can acknowledge that it went on in the past and we can make it better moving forward. And so Fingers crossed, we're going to turn the page and and keep progressing and keep making things great for the next generations because that's the whole point of, of being a leader is paving the path and making it better for fall-on generations. So some of the things that I faced in my fleet squadron when I first got, checked in, so I showed up at my hail and bail and I was dressed probably very <laughs> similar time today. It's it's cold out, so it's snowy in Colorado right now. Uh, but I had you know a nice cardigan sweater on and a top and jeans and boots. And I walked in and I I met a, a nice guy and it ended up being my command or my executive officer. And he introduced him by his himself by his first name. So I said, Hey, I'm Caroline. So nice to meet you. He brought me directly into the wives in the kitchen and introduced me to his wife and left me there with his wife. And I said, Oh, wonderful. Gave her my gifts. Hey, I made you chocolate dip strawberries and brought you some flowers for the house. And what can I help you do in the kitchen? I, I've been raised to plan parties, host parties, and I know that a hostess always needs help. So I offered her that. And she said, oh, no, I'm good. Let me introduce you to the rest of the wives. I said, oh, okay, great, thanks. And so brings me over, introduces me to a wife and leaves me there. And this wife says, 
oh, we're so excited to have you join the squadron, uh, you and your husband. And I go, oh, I'm actually not married. Um, oh, it's no problem if it's a boyfriend. We always love a new couple that's joining. And I go, oh, uh, well, I don't have one of those either. Um, I'm actually the new girl who joined the squadron. And this woman, no kidding, held up her hand in my face and turned around and walked away um, and walked over to the other wives, pointed at me and said, that's the new girl in the squadron. And they all turned and looked at me and I was like, oh, this is not good. I gave them a little debutante wave. I was like, so nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go join the squadron in the living room. Uh, the guys were all standing around the beer trough. And so my beer drinking days in Germany paid off. So I walked over, popped a beer with my little bar trick and tried to talk to them and they all ignored me because their wives were watching them. And so after getting the cold shoulder from them, uh, the kids really liked me. The kids were like, Hey ma'am. Um, and so I hung out with them, but just kind of getting shunned a lot, not being included in a lot of the squadron functions, not being kind of given menial jobs. So as a woman, I checked in and they had saved the public affairs job and the coffee mess officer, which is providing all the coffee for the squadron, making sure all the swag is taken care of. They had held that job for me for six months. And so it was all waiting for me when I got there. Uh, I continually got the more administrative jobs. I actually got the public affairs job again when I was most senior in the squadron. And that's a job normally reserved for the most junior person. And so it's just small stuff like that, not getting the prestigious positions, not getting the optimal flights, being told that I was the cleaning woman, that you know a guy wasn't going to clean that up because that's a woman's job. And that's what his wife does at home. Um, yeah. You know, your mom and your wife don't work here. I do. And I'm a member of your squadron and I'm a peer. So just small stuff like that, being thoughtful uh, is really important and making sure that I always taught my classes, the in-group and the out-group, you want to expand the size of your in-group. If you've got a team and a unit, when they're more cohesive and they have a good culture and a good climate and everyone feels like a member of the team, they're going to feel a huge obligation to that team and they're going to perform hire, work harder, and always be present. So um, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. The book, like you said, is is very raw from social times. Sorry if I broke up. Uh, from social experiences to actual activities in the squadron um, during working hours, it was it was challenging and without a doubt and about it so that we can make what it kind of you, you said it's it's raw and sometimes it's hard to say and i'm sure it was hard to put down on words as well what kind of gave you the strength to go ahead and share those difficult times and on that same token what would you offer to any young woman who wants to pursue a path in one of these communities in which she will be the minority of the population so i just had a uh, a friend of mine Andrea Howard, who's a class 15 graduate and a submariner, a trailblazer in her own right. There are not many women on board submarines right now. So, and we, and we talked about this similar aspect and what it was like to be one of the few women on board a submarine of hundreds of men. And it's kind of the same thing for you as being one of the few women within a squadron. How did you find the strength to put those words onto paper? And then how would you encourage young women to continue to be trailblazers in their own right? and fight through some of the things that may still be present. Uh, and I still think are present. And that's why I'm really glad that we're talking about this and addressing it. And I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Number one, you're so progressive thinking about these things and talking to different people because 
For so long, we did not acknowledge that it existed. For my entire time flying, I thought it was a problem within myself that was isolated to me. And so I wanted to hide it. And so interesting fact, Hoff and I worked on this book for four, four and a half years. And in the beginning, I was still in my squadron and he would ask me about these things and he would know when I had a bad day because I was just down and and I wear my emotions on my sleeve and he'd be like, well, what happened? Like nothing, nothing. It's not a big deal. And I would start, then he, I, he finally won my trust and I would talk to him about the things that went on in my daily mm-hmm. life. He goes, you realize this is not normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is not the way that teammates treat each other. And, and so I didn't realize that. And so what gave me the courage was coming back to the Naval Academy and number one, seeing how far we've come. And number two, understanding that it still goes on and it still goes on behind closed doors. And we need to be aware of it and we need to be talking about it so that people can say, hey, this isn't right. In the military, we we have this profession of arms and we need to hold ourselves to higher standard. And so if we talk about it, if I can share the things that I encountered, maybe people going into these communities. So now we've got combat arms open in the Marine Corps, you know, Navy SEALs are open, explosive ordnance disposal. We're trying to get more women in because talent today looks different than talent did 15 years ago. And at least you can be aware that these things do go on. And how can I get the mentors and sponsors who will reach across the table and support me as I go through these things? And so what's been so fascinating after writing the book and coming out with it and and getting out of the Navy is that I've had all these incredible mentors kind of come back to me that were fighter pilots or, you know, that were in my squadron years ago and that are Navy SEALs and NFL football players and all these, these men who have come down and said, hey, let me help you. Let me help make this an easier path for you. And I lacked that in the fleet. I didn't have any of those mentors or sponsors. And, and so... I'm writing this, you know, I, I wrote this and, and came out with it. I'm talking about it so that people can be better from, from all different levels, from the top leadership to the frozen <laughs> middle is what I always call them, the 05s oh, and 06s who are kind of stuck in the middle there. You know what I'm talking about. To the JOs and to the midshipmen who who yeah. really want to make uh, things better. Absolutely, without a doubt. And thank you uh, for sharing that. And and so you mentioned on a couple of occasions, you made your way back to the Naval Academy and you were a leadership instructor at the Academy. And that's something that you uh, highlight a lot in your book as well. Uh, the key themes of mentorship and leadership throughout this whole time. What are some key leadership takeaways that you can share from your story in Jet Girl? What are things that you try and leave the audience or the reader with in the realms of mentorship and leadership in your book? So I think mentorship, number one, you need to mentor all types. When I was at the Naval Academy, I mentored probably more men than I did women. And probably due to the fact that it's 70% men and, you know, less than 30% women. Um, But it's important Mm -hmm. to mentor and sponsor people who don't look like you because they will teach you more as a leader than you would ever learn from somebody who is very similar to yourself. And so that didn't happen to me. So I was very emphatic about changing that. The second thing is empathy. I think everyone is fighting their own battles and those look different. And if you don't take the time and and really invest yourself in other people and sit and listen to them and listen intently, you won't understand what they're going through. And each one of us is so different. I think it was really interesting when I was at the Academy Teaching Leadership, I brought in this personality assessment that was fascinating. It measured like 
220 different traits of your personality and motivators. And it, it was so fascinating to me to see my classes and to see the different behavioral traits that they had and the different motivators. And so it really forced me as a leader to meet them where they were at, because that's a leader's job. It's not for your followers to rise and, and be what you need them to be. It's for you to provide that support and to really meet them on their level. Because regardless of what traits they have, if even if they're not like yours, they can still be very successful. And, and that's what it takes as a leader. So I think number one is mentoring those who don't look like you. Number two is empathy. And the final thing is communication. Because if you don't communicate those things and you don't provide feedback on a timely manner, you're never going to get better and be able to to kind of progress in life. So I know those are three very <laughs> high concepts. I spent semesters, my four students, talking about these things. Um, but it was such an amazing, like if you've ever doubted, everyone knows in naval aviation, the academy mm. tour is not traditional for aviators. And it really kind of killed my career by coming back mm. to the academy. But that was my number one choice. And I, I actually had to get very high mm. support within the Navy to be able to come back because they didn't want to let me come back. And it was the best tour of my entire life. And you have to do as an officer and going through the academy, you have to do what's right for you. Mm. Don't like that's where kind of marching to the beat of my own drum. Like I knew who I was and I was always able to choose the path that that was best for me. And sometimes the Navy told me what to do being an NFO, not a pilot, but that's okay. You do have to stay true to yourself and whether you're going to do yes. five years or And 30, I know that you now, you were teaching midshipmen just a little bit ago, but now you're doing a lot of speaking and teaching uh, now in the private sector as well in regards to some of those topics of leadership and unit cohesion and working through that. Um, so what are some of the things that you're doing now in regards to that? What are some of the topics that you speak about and what are the things that you like to teach uh, these private sector companies about? Correct. So it was fascinating. Getting out of the Navy, I was able to, I was afforded a lot of opportunities from going out to Stanford Graduate School of Business and doing a program out there to Dartmouth Tech School of Business to piloting a new yeah, Knowles course to working yeah, at a hedge fine. fund, working yeah, at a tech, yeah. tech company. I kind of saw the whole gamut. Yeah. But, and very quickly. And what I realized is the things that they struggle with, there's, you know, we are so technologically advanced and we are moving forward at such a rapid rate in that industry. Tech has transformed finance and, and tech and finance are fighting for the smartest people. Management consulting is in there. All these brilliant professions are struggling with how do we get talent? How do we retain talent? And how do we keep talent max performing at their maximum level? And so it's very similar issues to what we face in the Navy. <laughs> and to what we talk about, no kidding, in second class leadership at the academy. And so these topics are so just relevant. And by speaking to them through our experiences and the things that we've done, number one, they're so amazed by the story. They had no idea that people like you and me are in the military. They see from the outside mm -hmm. just this rigid, like we're stormtroopers okay. and we're this rigid military unit, but we're people. And once you show them, hey, where you came from, I never thought the military was possible for me. They're just shocked that, that we exist, number one. And so educating is huge. And then kind of empowering them to take control of their life through a couple easy steps. What we do in the military, we break it down into very simple steps that are easy to process and easy to create into a repeatable cycle. And so that's kind of what I bring to them. Um, 
and it, it ranges the gamut. A lot of times, half the time, I don't know where I'm going to go in these talks. And, and we end up mm-hmm. going in a direction because it's all tailored to the people. Like we say, as leaders, as a speaker, you have to tailor to your audience. You have to have key core values that you're going to go in with, but you have to meet them where they're at and be able to custom tailor. So I've done a lot of that and I do it full time now which has been a wonderful experience. <laughs> um, never did I think I'd be a professional or motivational speaker. Yeah, I'm trying to teach <laughs> to midshipmen. I'm sure anything's got to be easier than that, though. <laughs> Especially... <laughs> are the most savage audience oh, yes, I've ever absolutely. had in my entire That's... life. <laughs> Whether they're either sleep, they will go to sleep. If you're not interested, <laughs> they will sleep on you unbashedly, which mm-hmm. I did too as a med. Um, but they just, like, you can, you don't, I kid you not, they are the hardest audience. I came in from the fighter community, and that's one thing about aviation that most people don't know is we are such good speakers because we work nonstop. That's our whole job is to brief an audience and to build a team up to go into combat and to to do these missions and put their lives on the line. So you become very attuned at briefing and speaking to people. But the problem is you speak to one specific type mm-hmm. who's groomed to think as fast, speak as fast and, and be on the same level of motivation because they're all elite performers. And so when you go back to the academy, everyone's very elite, but they are just by second <laughs> class year, they don't care. They're going to tell you if you're not meeting the standard and they, Oh my gosh, so much humility. They taught me the empathy and the humility and the authenticity. Mm-hmm. All they want is to connect with real people. And I think that's the most amazing part about Gen X is they demand mm-hmm. when you're going to be in front of them face to face, like we're doing right now, they demand you to show up and be who you really are because they can see through your smoke screen in an instant. And that's like, that is what mm-hmm. with the private sector, people are so fake sometimes um, out in the real world that are just genuineness and authenticity is can't, can't know, confirm the best thing <laughs> I, I absolutely remember being in second class leadership and all those courses because it's the first time especially during the academic day where there are opinions that are thrown out like you get to talk and discuss and there's not much talking to discussing going on in calc 2 and chemistry you know we're not like a normal school where you go to all your different lecture halls and have all these discussion tables and everything's like that we don't we don't really get that opportunity that one opportunity is leadership class so I'm sure you put in a lot of interesting situations mm-hmm. with a bunch of midshipmen who have been waiting to spill their thoughts on all of the topics. So <laughs> absolutely. It's all right. So well, yeah. thank you for all of that information. Is there anything else that you would like to leave the Academy Insider audience with in regards to Jet Girl or anything that you have before we jump into our lightning round of questions? Definitely check it out and order it for your parents or your grandparents if they want to look inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely age appropriate for all the midshipmen and uh, oh, cool. I would say high school seniors. It, just know it's honest and and talk to them about that. But uh, yeah, it's hopefully a great read. Hopefully we'll be coming out with the kids or definitely. young adults. And for everyone who's too. listening, I can't more highly recommend this book. I know I mentioned it in the intro. I read it on the train up to New York and I couldn't put it down and it, it's phenomenal. It has a ton of one great stories. Like you just generally, when you read in, you love to hear stories about fighter pilots flying in combat missions. Like there's that cool aspect to it, but there's a rip, like you were saying earlier, there's a ton of authenticity and realness to it where we address some of the things that are currently going on in our fleet 
Um, it's eye-opening and it's really a fun read that I think you'll get a ton out of and a ton of leadership takeaways as well. So thank you so much for that. And I highly recommend you check out that book. But now it is time to move on to the lightning round of questions, which I asked to all former midshipmen or Naval Academy staff. Um, are you ready? <laughs> all right. Oh my gosh, yes. So Who knows what's going to come out of my mouth right now. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful campus, but what is your favorite spot on the yard? Get out? I would say gate one because that's where you can get oh, out. That's funny. I like it. Um, all right, um, second meal or second yeah. thing is – I don't know if you follow a lot of the social media accounts in regards to the Naval Academy, but there was Thanksgiving meal this past Monday where there's a ton of funny stuff going on. People chugging eggnog and stuff like that. Thanksgiving meal. We love it. Yeah. yeah disgusting. <laughs> but yeah, midshipmen do weird things. Um, what was, what was your favorite meal in King Hall? Ooh, nice. I mean, hands down, buff chick sands. <laughs> Who would I be if I didn't love a good buff chick mm-hmm. sands? Uh, jerk chicken yeah. for a while was really good. That yeah. was like a close second. Some good Solid. mac and cheese did, in there. Did but, you just go with the straight um, buffalo yeah. sauce? There were a lot of people yeah. who kind of went buffalo sauce and some sweet baby rays, or were you always just straight buffalo sauce? Nice. All right. I oh, like it. Buffalo um, sauce. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, third Extra question. Sauce. This is This is a little bit more in depth than the other ones, but who or what uh, was the biggest influence on your leadership style that you have today? that you can trace back to your time at the Naval Academy? Honestly, my plebe leadership teacher, Shrek, uh, just his authenticity and showing up. Uh, quick vignette, I was walking <laughs> through, I was late to class. This is plebe year. Everything was ill-fitting plebe year until I got it tailored down. But my hat, my hat, my cover uh, was too big and it slipped down over my eyes going through the mid-store parking lot and my hands were full with I don't know what. Um, but I'm like running to class because I'm late and I see this like pair of black shoes and khaki pants and I just go straight past it. And this woman started yelling at me. She's like, hey, stop. And I'm like, ah. and so I like lean all the way back and look up and it's a lieutenant and his wife. And the wife had actually stopped me and chewed me out for not saluting her husband um, because my hands were full and I didn't say good morning, sir and ma'am. And, and I was, I was so sorry. I was like, I'm so sorry. I just, I just don't know. I'm late to class. I'm lost. I'm first week, like plebe year. And, um, I got to class. I was like in tears and (laughs) I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm late. I think it was my second or third time being late. And he was just like, it's okay. Took me aside and was like, what happened to you? And I was, I explained to him what had just happened. And he was like, you're kidding me. Who was it? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It was awful. And so he figured out who the lieutenant was and he yeah. went and, and kind of had it out with this guy. And the fact yeah. that he looked out for me, that like changed my life and was so influential of understanding. Like he didn't care, you know, he cared why I was late and, mm-hmm. and asked and, but really wanted to get to know the full story. And that was kind of, Hey, everyone's fighting a battle and him standing up for me was <laughs> in something that was totally my fault. Oh, I'm sure. That, that's great. Um, that's that's awesome. hilarious. And I love that. And as we talk about just kind of being real and investing, having that empathy. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens at the Naval Academy, right? That can cause you to be late. And it's so easy just to be like, oh, just mark them absent. You know, they'll get fried. They'll have to march a tour or something. But to take the time and just ask that question and then follow up with it, because that is kind of ridiculous. That's a good story. But I couldn't, I couldn't imagine like getting yelled at. I know. 
but it's also hot mess. Oh yeah, express, uh, being, like, a, being a plebe is just. Oh yeah, just mass chaos. Nothing you know ever goes days. right. <laughs> not, not, nothing goes in your favor. Oh, yeah. um, all right, so you're now an author. You've written your own book, but the question is, what is your favorite book? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so I, I have a lot of favorite ones. The most recent one, I was at a book signing actually, and this woman came up to me and it's my current favorite because the author, this woman comes up to me and she goes, don't you dare give your book away. Like, I think I had given a book to someone and it was for good reason. Like we connected very deeply or something. She's like, don't you dare give a book away. I was like, okay, thank you. And she's like, especially not in this crowd. They can all afford it. I'm like, okay, yes, ma'am. She goes, can we take a picture on your Instagram? And I'll put it on my Instagram. I'm like, okay, that'd be great. So she takes a picture. I sign a book and um, she pays for it. And then I went to my co-author. I'm like, man, that lady was so nice. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot to tell you. That's the author <laughs> of The Devil Wears what? Prada, Wendy. <laughs> what? Yeah. And so that's currently, I mean, a great book. Uh, there's so many others that are just yeah. incredible books. And that one's very serious. Yeah. Dude, how did one, you forget to uh, tell me that? Just a good story. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, seriously, yeah, my, of my all people now. that are going to be here? Oh, yeah. My bad. My bad. All right. Off, and the final off, question, whatever. and you provided a ton of great advice so far, but the final question is, what advice would you give someone who is a candidate, someone who's a high school student that may be interested in the Naval Academy about what they should consider when trying to decide whether or not the Naval Academy would be a good fit for them as a college decision? Yeah. <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, number one, oh, I've done lots of numbers on this uh, podcast. Know who you are. For some people, it's a fit. For some people, it's not. And for me, I never thought it would be a fit. And neither did anyone, I think, in my circles, did they ever think it would be a fit for me. Um, I surprised them all by attending the academy and not quitting, not looking back. It was the most incredible experience. The challenges were, I can't even count them. I, I can't even remember all of them. And, and the things that I face that you're never going to face in a normal college, but I can tell you that hands down was the best experience of my life and built me into the person that I am today and gave me the grit and gave me the life experiences that have made me a person of depth and character who is actually also a little bit interesting. We've had these life experiences that that no one will ever have and that you're able to share with people and connect with different people on. And so if you're thinking about it and you're strong enough to get through the application process mm -hmm. and you get in, go for it. You can turn down and get back in any other school in the country. But if you turn down in the Naval Academy, you can never get back in the Naval Academy. Maybe you can. Maybe there are situations where people have, but I don't think so. Or you turn down the congressman and the senator and then the nomination. It's it's tough. But give it a try. You know, if you're really that curious, um, trying to figure out if it's going to be a fit or not, you can read all these different things. Number one, realize that it's an individual experience. Every single person who's walked through the gates of the Naval Academy has had a vastly different four years by the bay than anyone else. There are core tenants that weave their way through everyone's blanket of an experience, but you are in charge of your own destiny and you are in charge of the things that happen to you at the Academy. Whether, you know, you can say, well, I got fried. I'm jilted because of this. No, that was your 
own thing and, and you did it to yourself and it's going to make you the person that you are and it's going to be a better person than when you start their day one. Um, so I just, I can't say enough good stuff about it. I was the last person again that anyone mm. would ever expect. And it was the best thing that ever happened. I'm going doing another Naval Academy podcast next week. And they're like, what? Uh, I love it. I, I but, love it. Uh, <laughs> thank yeah, you for sharing I that. It. I couldn't I agree more. Um, and so if people really enjoyed what you were saying today, which I think they should, uh, where would you point people to learn more about you, uh, your speaking or just kind of where you are? I guess if people want to learn more about you uh, and your work, where where would you direct them? Head over to Instagram, JetGirlUSA. And I have jetgirlusa.com. In the process of getting all those up to speed, Mm -hmm. I've been on this crazy book tour nonstop. And so a little bit has (laughs) lagged behind. I have a social media (laughs) manager. She's helping me try and get my life together. She holds me accountable. She's like, all right, get it together. Um, But I answer DMs and you're more than welcome to reach out to me. Uh, Be patient a little bit. But as I get out of this backlog, I'll get on it and, and be back in it. So yeah, share in the Absolutely. journey and check well, out the book Well, thank you so much uh, for everyone who's listening. We will put links to everything that she has mentioned and a link to purchase the book in the show notes. So make sure to check those out. Uh, but Caroline, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share your stories uh, and spend this hour with the Academy Insider audience. We really, really appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you, Grant, for having me and uh, keep strong out there. I I just love this. I'm so, I just think it's so cool. These things didn't exist when we went through and we're making it better for the next generation. They know, they know what to expect going in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much and Academy Insider audience. I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. Please leave me a review on iTunes and be sure to subscribe to the Academy Insider podcast. If you want to learn more about the Naval Academy, the different communities, and hear from these awesome authors and speakers who used to be Naval Academy midshipmen, please go and check out all the content that you can find. All right, a bunch of articles, do a bunch of different videos and things like that on my webpage, www.academyinsider.com, or you can go to my Facebook page, Academy Insider. Again, all the links discussed in the show today are listed in the show notes. So if you're looking to find more about Caroline or Jet Girl, make sure to check out the show notes and we'll have all the links provided. Again, I'm Grant Vermeer, your Academy Insider, and thank you so much for letting me be your guide to the United States Naval Academy.